Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. Why do we go from spiritual highs to spiritual lows? Have you ever felt that? You have this incredible moment with the Lord. Maybe you go to a camp and all the Camp Kalos people said, amen. You go to a camp or you go to a conference or maybe you give your life to the Lord or you have this powerful time of worship, prayer, reading the Bible. You have this spiritual high and then the next day you get in a fight with your sibling your parent, your spouse, you get back into a rut of addiction, you go on a hot rebound, and you're like, what am I doing? Have you ever gone from a spiritual high to a spiritual low? I have felt this on a very personal level. I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable with you today, and I, I find that my garage often turns into garbage. <laughs> Let me explain. I have this garage, and it gets filled with all sorts of clutter, and so I like to clean it out. I like to make it a fragrant offering to the Lord, a place where I can work out, a place that I have renamed Jiva Fitness. I put a a bench set in there where you can squat, deadlift, and do these things unto the Lord. I put a treadmill there, a bike. I cleaned it out because there was all sorts of garbage and excess and kids' toys that pile up no matter how many times you get rid of kids' toys. There are always more. And so I remember in the pandemic, I finally cleaned this out, started to work out in there. It was glorious. I was on a spiritual high. I was wading through the waters of euphoria. It was heaven on earth, a place called my garage, a place called Jiva Fitness. And anybody who's been there said, amen. Come on, somebody. But what happens? People find this orderly, safe, clean space, and they say, I'm not going to name any names, but some people say, oh, our, our garbage outside is full, and this is nice and clean. Why don't I just put some garbage in there? Oh, I don't want this couch in the house anymore. Why don't we just fill up this beautiful space with an extra couch? Oh, we need to get rid of some of these things I found in the junk drawer, or my bedroom is a little bit too full. Why don't I... Put it in this clean and orderly, heavenly place called Jiva Fitness. And I go from a spiritual high to a spiritual low because my garage turns into garbage. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And it it is hard. It is difficult. Pray for our marriage today. (laughs) Because... What happens in the garbage that I get bothered by, I do the same thing in the bedroom. <laughs> and it reminds me of what we find in Ephesians 5, the scripture we're talking about today, because the scripture, it starts off by saying, hey, we need to follow the example of Jesus. But then it goes off into a list of things that keep us from following the example of Jesus. And I I don't know if you have felt that way in your life. You try to evacuate a sin. You try to have better habits. But it's the more you work to accomplish this good thing, the more into the rut of addiction or sin or doing the things that you don't want to do, you find yourself 
really experiencing. Let's read it. In Ephesians 5, it says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice for God. So this is all good. But now we go into the bad we might encounter. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So I want us to notice, look how it goes from following the example of God, walking the way of love, a fragrant offering. It's this flowery, euphoric language, but then quickly it goes from the ideal to the real, where it's like, hey, there shouldn't be even a hint of sexual immorality amongst you. There should not be greed, coarse joking. This doesn't have anything to do with following God, so you need to be careful. And I feel like this describes my relationship with God so much. It's this yo-yo, high-high, low-lows, trying to do good, end up in bad, and it is so scary, it is so dangerous. Have you ever felt like you're caught in that pattern of going from high highs to low lows? What's going on here? Well, we have an example in Jesus Christ who has taught us what's going on here. And my hope is today that we could break the cycle and enter in a new pattern, something that could glorify the Lord, because the Lord wants to do amazing things in you and through you. And you don't have to be a victim to sin. You don't have to be a victim to bad addictions. You don't have to be a victim to this pattern, because we can find strength and victory in the power of of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. There is hope for every single one of us, but what I want to do this morning is give us some language for us to understand what is going on. And so the first thing I want to share to maybe articulate what's happening in our lives is this. When we clean out sin, a greater evil tries to come back in. When we clean out sin, a greater evil tries to come back in. Jesus talks about this in Luke 11. He says, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds that its former home is all swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. Isn't this amazing? An evil spirit, it's removed, it's delivered. Maybe your addiction, it's removed. Maybe that relationship, it's removed. And you finally get clean, swept up and in order. But then it returns and suddenly your hot girl summer is a hot rebound with that guy you thought you would never be with again. Amen? <laughs> and this scripture, it, it makes no excuses and the thing about preaching through the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter as we've been doing in this series is you have to read the whole scripture 
And this book of Ephesians is hard on sin, isn't it? It's listing out things that our culture would tell us, don't list out. You're going to shrink your church. You're going to offend people. It says, let there not even be a hint of sexual immorality, which is a tough thing to preach because our culture loves sexual immorality. We would say there's nothing off limits, but the scripture says we need to take these things seriously. Greed, obscene talk, coarse joking, that convicts me. (laughs) Are you kidding me? But this scripture says that when you eliminate something, that will come back seven times stronger. And that scares me. I remember Pastor Amrita and I, we once were talking with a friend of ours, and he had gotten into this relationship. And this girl was so controlling in his life. And we didn't like it. We said, hey, you need to find better because you are not the person we know. You're totally changing your behavior. You're afraid to say anything all of your dreams, your plans, you're adjusting it. And so he breaks up with her. Well, one year later, I'm not joking, he found a girl seven times worse in controlling spirit to the point where they they got together and she made him quit his job, eliminate his whole circle of friends, and he is so unhappy with his life right now. And we're like, what's happening here? I think it's a spiritual principle. That when we clean out sin, a greater evil tries to come back in. Growing up, when I was young, we would say this phrase. I don't know if I theologically believe it, but it kind of explains this. And it was this phrase, new level, new devil. It's like when you try to push forward, you get all these attacks. You find all this resistance. You find all this oppression because you're trying to do good. And you're like, I might as well just live a life where I don't even try to become better because it's just easier. I think many of us have experienced this principle without even realizing it. We try to clean out our calendar. We find ourselves too busy. We try to have a healthier space, and we just end up doom scrolling, binging TV, watching things we shouldn't be. It's because we've cleaned out space. We've created a vacuum for worse realities to enter back in. So this morning, what has filled your emptiness? Because I know a lot of us are really eager to follow God. We're eager, maybe you're in church today because you've really sought out a fresh start, but as you've emptied yourself of these former habits, as you've emptied yourself from your former nature, what have you filled that emptiness with? Because if we're not careful, we'll end off worse than when we started, amen? You know, I've noticed, and just speaking pastorally, people try to enter the community of faith, be part of the people of God, and they clean out themselves, and they end off in some kind of crazy, painful, hurtful things in the body of Christ. For example, let me be a little real. We come to church, we clean ourselves up, and then we're trying to live for the Lord, and we don't fill it up with reading the Bible or spending our time with the Lord, prayer, or doing the things of God. We're just empty, and so we fall prey to political conspiracy theories. And I've noticed that a lot of people who are trying to live for God post a lot more on Facebook about their politics than their savior. A lot of people are posting way more about memes than the Messiah. And I I think we have devoted our hearts to politics. We've replaced a devotion to God to a religious fervor for politics. And I'm seeing this in the nation. I'm seeing this with people I love. And I'm like, okay, will you share your love about Jesus? I don't want to offend people. And then I see the same people sharing actively on politics. 
I think there's been an emptiness created because I don't want to live the way I used to be, but there's still a void in here and it has to be devoted to something. And I'm finding idolatry in politics all throughout our nation, and I think it's leaking inside of the church because we've devoted our hearts to politics more than we have to God. The emptiness has filled us, and we're off worse because now when you as the church get in bed with politics, you're going to find out you create some children. And when you get in bed with politics and you mix faith and politics too much where you don't know that there's a difference, you're going to create children where people think they're leaving God, but they're actually leaving politics. And Pastor Amritha even shared about this in her deconstruction of faith, where people are like, I don't want to join this political party, so I'm leaving the church. Well, no, you're not leaving the church. You're leaving some misrepresentation of the church. And you think you're leaving the church, but you're actually leaving politics that have gotten in bed with religion. And we as the church are fully devoted to Jesus. Am I saying all politics are evil? No. Am I saying everybody who engages with politics has a a bad heart and they're not trying to devote their lives to the Lord? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying when you can't tell the difference between your political party and the kingdom of God, you have fallen into idolatry and you've created children that have left us off worse than when we started. And so we need to be careful. And I find that this emptiness is being filled off by something worse. And, you know, this can happen in all sorts of ways. I'm seeing language in the church and language on social media quite a bit. Like, we need to kill purity culture in the church. And I I believe that. I I was taught things as a youth in the church about, you know, sexual relationships and boundaries and politics that are, are the politics of sexuality that aren't all very healthy. And so we have sought out to kill purity culture, like, you know, books like I Kiss Dating Goodbye and people who don't know how to be intimate with each other. They've been saying no to all relationships so that when they get married, they don't know how to say yes in the marriage bed. And it's created this culture. But what we've done is we've said, uh, okay, we're going to kill anything that sounds like purity. We're going to kill anything that sounds like holiness. And it's created an emptiness in our heart. And so now we have all sorts of sexual immorality in the church and we celebrate it. And I'm just saying, if you're going to kill something, if you don't replace it with something better, you're creating a vacuum, and it's going to end off seven times worse. So when you see memes on social media attacking the church, attacking culture, you got to ask these people, what's the solution? And if there isn't a solution, guess what? You're opening up the doors for a spirit seven times worse. And the scripture warns us of that. It's easy to tear something down. It's easy to criticize something. It's much harder to build something. I mean, it's so easy to attack the church. The church just needs to be better in this and that. And the church needs to say this perfectly. You need to be better in your business. You need to be better in your preaching. You need to be better in your leadership. You need to be better in creating community. And then you ask the same people to build it. And they're like, nope, I'm out. I'm out. Because it's so much easier to tear something down than build something up. And so the scripture says... Hey, we need to not just eliminate stuff, but we need to fill it up. And I mean, I am part of the church because I believe in the beauty of the church. Amen. I'm not just going to criticize God's bride and not be part of the solution. I mean, how easy is that to just tear something down, criticize it? Those people should do something better. Should I contribute? No. Will I give? No. Will I help? No. But I will call out their inability to hold up the standard, which I think is perfect. But I won't contribute. I I think that's one of the reasons I I get a little upset when people criticize the organizations that are trying to fight racism in America. 
I'm seeing a lot of churches say, oh, we shouldn't talk about racism. And did you know that organization, they believe in socialism? Did you know that organization is attacking the family? Well, guess what? They're filling a vacuum that the church should be sitting in. The church should be the number one organization in the world to say racism is bad. Jesus is good. And guess what? Martin Luther King, he was a pastor. A lot of these movements for racial reconciliation, they started off with prayer. They started off fighting for the word of God, saying that we are not a cosmic divine accident. We are created in the image of God. So all people are created equal. And because we believe that as followers of Jesus, as people who build our lives on the word, because we have a passion for this, we're going to pray and we're going to bring racial reconciliation and equality and equity to this land. And so let's, let's be a little bit civilly disobedient. Let's advocate for the laws of the kingdom over the laws of this nation. And so we're going to fight. But then the church dropped that mantle. And so different organizations had to pick up where we left off. And so I find that I see some churches spending more time fighting the organizations that are fighting racism than picking up the mantle we've inherited to fight racism ourselves. Now, I'm just saying, we can't just fight against things and clean things up without ending up worse if we don't fill it up with something. And that's why here at Kalos Church, we do not define ourselves by what we're against, but who we are for. And his name is Jesus Christ, amen? He is our identity, he is our hope, he is our stance in this culture, and he is our political position. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He is everything. He is our identity, and we affirm that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And so I think it's important for us to remember the first part of what Paul says in Ephesians 5. He says, follow God's example Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so before Paul gives us a list of what we're not to do, he tells us what to do. We are to follow the example of Jesus Christ. Point number two, the goal of Jesus isn't to avoid sin, but to become like him. Let me say that again. Point number two. The goal of Jesus isn't to avoid sin, but to become like him. I love this quote by Pastor Rich Velotis. The sad irony of our day is we can be deeply committed to being a Christian, but not be deeply formed by Christ. And so our goal is to become like Jesus. We're not just trying to avoid sin. We're not just trying to avoid fault. We're not just trying to live a life mistake-free. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We want to follow his example, the one who gave up his life for all humanity. He willingly died on the cross, and that was a fragrant offering to our God. And that's why we sing that song about being refined in the fire and being a living sacrifice because we fix our eyes on the example of Jesus Christ who died. And so we say, I died daily to be like Jesus. I line myself up not by my comfort or the opinions of culture, but my life is aligned with the words and ways of Jesus who chose inconvenience, who chose to be where he didn't belong so that all of us could belong. He chose to die so that we could live. And so we will gladly sacrifice for Jesus so that others can experience life. 
And so the goal of my marriage with Pastor Amrita isn't to avoid an affair. If I just have an affair-proof marriage, that doesn't mean I have a good marriage. The goal of marriage isn't to avoid an affair. Otherwise, it would be better to not get married. The goal of children, having children, isn't to raise them so they, they just stay out of trouble. The goal isn't for them to just not get hurt. It's so that they can be raised into the image of Christ. Our marriage, the goal is so that we can be more like Christ. We sharpen each other. In the same way, our life goal, our following of Jesus, it's not just just to avoid sin, but it's so we can be more like him. Amen? That's the goal. Anybody watching the Olympics right now? Nobody. <laughs> wow. I am not either. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> so for all of us, let's do a little overview. There is a tournament in the world where people are competing athletically. One of those competitions is called gymnastics. And uh, there is an all-around gymnastics program where they have different programs, like the balance beam, the vault, and the floor routine. The floor routine, they have this floor where they do like flips and backflips, and they do all sorts of crazy moves. You know what I'm talking about? They'll, they run, and they're like, OK. Okay. You know what I'm talking about now? All right. <laughs> Imagine, though, if one of the competitors didn't display extra extravagance like I just did. So, okay, our next comp competitor is Pradeepin from America. Let's see what he has to offer. And then I was just like this. Right? Um, I didn't fall, right? I didn't make any mistakes, right? But is the judge going to give me a high score? No. Because the goal isn't to avoid in a fault. The goal is to accomplish a routine that pleases the judge. In the same way, some of us are living our Christian lives, and our whole goal is to avoid sin. But we haven't fixed our eyes on Jesus. Our whole goal is to have the safe routine, okay, I'm not going to do anything crazy, but I'm just, I'm not going to be as bad as this person, I'm going to play safe, I'm not going to be a sinner like this person, I'm just going to play safe, maybe I'll just like live in this safe little community and I'll never share my faith with anybody, you know, maybe I'll give like, you know, 1% to the church, but I'm not going to extravagantly lay down my life to the Lord, you know, I, I'll, I'll show up to church once a month, but I'm not going to sacrifice my time and my talent to serve the local body of Christ. But I, I'm not a bad person. Yeah. I didn't make any mistakes. But my question is, what do you think the judge is going to say at the end of times? When you live this safe life, yeah, maybe you didn't do any extravagant bad faults, but were you like Jesus? Is the, the judge pleased with your life. And, that, and that's why Paul, Paul says in verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, 
For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. And so we need to, as the people of God, find out what pleases the Lord. The goal isn't to just avoid sin, but to become more like him. And here's the reality when it comes to our faith. Playing it safe is not safe. Playing it safe is not safe. We are called to live a radical, extravagant life for the Lord. Where we say, Lord, like Jesus did on the cross, I lay down my full life for you. Even if death comes, even if pain comes, even if it costs me everything, I want to be like Jesus. And so I want to challenge us, and according to Ephesians 5, this is a question my youth pastor gave me. Instead of asking when it comes to sin and, hey, is this a sin, pastor? Is this wrong? Is this right? People are always trying to get a stance from me. Is this sin? Because I, I want to go that way. They'll ask this question, they'll frame it like this. Pastor Pradeethan, how far is too far, right? Because we want a clear stance so we know how to categorize people in sinners, not sinners, right? I'm better than this person. I lived a safe life. This person, they fell down. And so we don't ask ourselves how pure or how far is too far. We ask ourselves how pure is too pure. How much like Jesus is too much like Jesus, right? I think that's the right question. Not how far can I go sexually, not how far can I go into the life of greed, not how far can I go with coarse joking, and these are the things that Ephesians lists out, not me, so don't come at me, come at the Bible, all right? It's not how far is too far, how dark is too dark, but how pure is too pure, how much like Jesus is too much like Jesus. Because if I say, hey, just avoid sin, don't think of the pink elephant, you think of a pink elephant. But when I say fix your eyes on Jesus, guess what? You start to think and look and breathe and act and smell like Jesus. And so we have this life where we're going from high highs to low lows, and we create these vacuums. But we need to remember that the goal isn't to avoid sin, but to become like Jesus. But here's some good and bad news, okay? Point number three. Willpower alone will not make you like Jesus. We need God to help us be like God. And so the good and bad news of this is you are not strong enough to be like Jesus. You don't have what it takes to be like Jesus, but guess what? We're not alone. We have the Holy Spirit to help us. And so in verse 15, he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I love this. So we create this vacuum, and he doesn't just say, hey, don't be drunk on wine, right? And preachers love to preach that part because it leads to debauchery, but he gives us an alternative. He doesn't want the vacuum to be filled seven times worse. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. So we don't want to get drunk on wine, but we want to take our fill on the Spirit. Is that why they call it wine and spirits? But I want to challenge you. Don't, 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 be, don't be filled with spirits. Be filled with the Spirit. Come on, somebody. Because we don't want the vacuum to be filled with seven times worse spirits. And so I, I'm going to just go off of uh, 
stories I've heard, but when people drink alcohol, <laughs> their personality can be changed, so I've heard. Sometimes people get a little chatty, right? Sometimes people get a little angry. Sometimes people get a little crazy, violent. Sometimes people get a little bit goofy, I've heard. And so the scripture says, like, hey, when you drink this wine, it's going to lead to debauchery, right? But when you drink your fill from the spirit, it's going to lead to a holy drunkenness. You're going to be singing songs from the spirit from your heart. I love God. Praise the Lord, you know? And I, I love that because we are called to not just be empty but full of God. And I just want to challenge you, as you try to live a life of holiness, as you try to be full of the Spirit, as you try to seek the things of the Lord, you're, you're going to be full of something. Like, you're going to have that vacuum filled by something, something evil or something good. And, and some of you are full of it and might as well be full of the Spirit. Amen. <laughs> Can I get a good amen? <laughs> Look at someone and say, if you're going to be full of it, be full of the Spirit. And so I, I totally believe that when we get up in the morning and we invite the Holy Spirit into our life, where we get drunk on the Spirit, I totally believe that holy intoxication leads to transformation. It does. And so I, I want to say this right, and um, things are about to get rowdy. But I, I, I just want to challenge you to get drunk on the spirit. I want to challenge you with this phrase, okay? I want you to crack open a Bible. Come on. Get drunk on the spirit and get high on the most high. Come on. <laughs> Can we say that all together? Crack open a Bible, get drunk on the spirit, and get high on the most high. Can I get a good amen? Some of you are like, I'm glad I joined this church. <laughs> you know, and you think I'm making this up? All right, even in the birth of the church, they thought the early Christians were drunk. In Acts 2, this is the first church gathering. It says, some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. This is the best sermon ever. I want to preach this sermon one day because there's a need. Fellow Jews and to all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully. So he's setting it up. Listen carefully to what I have to say. All right, so gather, there's thousands of people. You guys got to hear what I'm about to say. These people are not drunk. <laughs> I want to have to start a sermon like that one day. Hey, uh, new people here at Kalos Church, listen carefully. Listen to what I have to say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 in the morning. <laughs> and he, he has to bring more evidence. Because if it was 9 at night, they wouldn't have to believe him. <laughs> It's only 9 in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And so many of us, we're trying to live this life to be like Jesus, and we're just trying to get rid of sin. But here, here is the, the key to not living this yo-yo life. you got to get full of the spirit. And it, it's like not the scientific method. I would like to leave you with like, if you pray this much, read this much scripture, you'll never experience these high highs and low lows. But I, I found that in the storms of life, when you're planted by the stream of the spirit, you will produce fruit even in dry times. And so I, I, I remember when I first gave my life to the Lord, my family was going through a divorce. I was dealing with uh, thoughts of taking my own life. And I just entered into a body of Christ and I, I found myself changing. 
and being transformed. And I, I remember a, a pastor said, hey, why, why don't you pray in the spirit every morning for a month before your new school year starts? Because you're going to be tempted by all sorts of things. Because my friends, we had uh, been pretty violent. We had stolen a lot. We had set a lot of buildings on fire. It was just like what we did to egg one another on. And I was trying to start these new habits. And so I would get up every morning as a teenager, and I would just pray in the spirit. I'd put on worship music. Lord, help me. Lord, would you fill me? I don't want to just be a, a different person. I want to be like you. I want to follow your example, Jesus. And I remember it was awkward at first, just praying. And some of us, we've never had a consistent prayer life. We've never prayed in the spirit. Even that's why we're, we're starting this prayer and fasting season as a church so that we can do this together so you don't have to be strong enough on your own and I'll just pray and pray and pray. And then I, I remember it ended with the first day of school and I felt like the Lord spoke to me that morning. On the first day of school, I want you to go to the lunch table in the cafeteria and I want you to stand up on your table and I want you to preach the gospel. I was like, Holy Spirit, are you drunk? Are you kidding me? He's like, I want you to get drunk on the Spirit. Because drunk people, they'll say things that they've never said before. They'll do things that they never thought they would do. That's totally unlike them. It just lowers your inhibitions, and I found that happened to me. So I remember on the first day of school, my sophomore year, I'm following Jesus. I get up on the lunch table. And I'm like, excuse me! I want to tell you about my story. And I talked about how I wanted to end my life and how I found Jesus. And I've given my life to the Lord, and he's transformed me, and he can transform each and every one of you. So anybody here at school who feels like you're not enough, who feels like they have no hope, who feels like they need a second chance, I want to let you know you can find that in Jesus. Hundreds of people looked at me like I was crazy. But guess what? A few people came up to me and said, Pastor Pradeepan, will you pray for me, including the hottest girl in the school? <laughs> And so she came up to me and she said, you know what, I need to give my life to Jesus. And guess what, she started going to church with me. And because of that, lots of guys started going to church with me. And at, at one point, we had over 20% of the school in our Bible study. This is a school, like, filled with hundreds of people. And this was coming from a timid, like, kid, a Sri Lankan kid, never felt fully American, fully Sri Lankan, never had a lot of friends my own age. And suddenly, because I had been praying in the Spirit, filling up on God's Word, looking to be like Jesus, I was doing things I, I never thought I would do. And uh, I want to encourage you, radical Christian Christianity is normal Christianity. Stop trying to avoid sin and become more like Him. Our prayer is that this community be so full of the Spirit, that we be so radically on fire for the Lord, that it would change everything about us. Amen? So, let's go for it. Let's go for Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word in Ephesians. And Lord, we want to be like you. Lord, we don't have the willpower or the strength to fight sin in our own power. We just get stuck in that loop. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be grounded in your word, full of your spirit, and that our eyes would be fixed on you, Jesus. We pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Can we give the Lord another round of applause? He's doing great things. You can live for God. You can live for God. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person.
person. We meet at 9.45 and 11.30 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.